So as we begin today, I, I want to make a few quick housekeeping announcements, if you will. Uh, the first is this. This Wednesday night is our first Wednesday night, one, back from Christmas break after our block party the other day, but also is the first Wednesday night for our new way of discipleship here at our church. Um, if you're in the room, man, we want you here Wednesday night. We're starting three groups um, uh, to start off our new year together. Um, one is the study of a prayerful life. I hope that if maybe you're like, man, I, I would love to know how to pray. I, I struggle with how to do that. You need to come and be a part of that group. God is going to do amazing things in that group, and you need to come be a part of it. Um, we have a women's group study that's starting this Wednesday night that is going to be incredible. Um, you do not want to miss that one. I promise you, ladies, if you want to find community, if you want to find a group of women that are focused and their hearts are going to point towards Jesus, and you want to be a part of that, you need to be here Wednesday night for that. And the last is we have a men's group that's starting uh, this Wednesday night as well that I just cannot even begin to tell you how excited I am about what God's going to do in the life of men at our church starting this Wednesday night. So if you're a guy in the room and you haven't found a place or a home in our church, that's your home, that's your place. Be here Wednesday night. It's going to be incredible. Last uh, Sunday morning, we started with a thought of what would it look like if we as the church began to focus our attention and our gaze upon Christ? What does it look like when we jointly um, as individuals come together and begin to seek God's face together in, in five key areas, by praying, uh, by reading together, by deepening our walk, by serving, and by reaching out to our world. What does it look like when we do that? A key core piece of that will start in February. In February, we are going to start reading the Word together in a new way. Um, it's not revolutionary. It's, it's just pretty simplified. And the way we're trying to do that this year and for the next two more years is by reading through a series of Bibles called the Immerse Bible. Now, I want you to know this is what it looks like. It's not fancy. Um, it's a reader's Bible. It's written in the New Living Translation. If you've ever read New Living, you know it's a reader's Bible. It's written and done in a way so that you can easily read through it. The other thing about the Immersed Bible is there are no chapters or verses. And so as we read through the Immersed Bible, you're going to find that you just have to read the page. A lot of times we get stuck because we read the titles of things that says like, for a church to grow. That was not in the original text, nor was chapter and verse. It was written like a book. And so we're going to read through Messiah starting in February. And for 16 weeks, we're going to read through this whole book, which is Matthew through Revelation. So for 16 weeks, if you'll join us on this journey It'll show you how to read through, and you'll read pages instead of chapters and verses. And I can promise you something uh, personal for me. As I've been reading through it, it goes very quick as you read. It's different, and I tell you, it's so exciting, and I hope you'll join us on this journey. Side note to this, if you want this, the actual book, this copy of the Bible, you can get a copy we're ordering together from Sharon um, we're going to read not only Messiah this year, but also Beginnings, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You can get all that there, or you can get the whole set 
for the next three years from sharing by going by today. Here's the thing. If you don't want to buy anything, that's completely okay. Um, I'm going to give you, starting in February, the end of this month, a way that you can read along with us in your Bible. So maybe you like reading out of your Bible. We're not asking you to buy another Bible. The group that put this together is a group that's a, a Bible Reading Institute. And what they said is this, the Bible still is the most purchased book of all. Every year it sets new numbers. No one can touch the Bible, but less and less people are reading it. More people are buying it than ever, so let's just do something real quick together. This is, I'm not going to ask you anything It's going to get you in trouble or anything like that. How many of you have more than one Bible at home? More than one Bible. All right. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand for this next one. Please don't. How many times have you read through them? This is why we need to change something. The reason is this. We love Bibles. I love Bibles. In my office down the hall over here, I personally have probably a dozen Bibles that are mine. Not my kids, not my wife's, not the church's, mine. And they should all be worn out, correct? So should yours. So this is a new way to do it. So I'm going to give it to you. If you want a copy of this, awesome. If you don't, awesome. But here's what I'm going to ask you to do. To take a deeper step with us to read your Bible. I'll give you how we're going to read it. My hope and my prayer is that every chance you get here at our church, people are going to talk about what they read. In your life group, from the stage, and on our Wednesday nights, you're going to hear from people, how's your Bible reading going? Because together, we should be reading the Bible all the time. Because it's good. It's good for you. It changes your life. So, here's the other thing. If you're a tech savvy, and I know you all are, um, here's what I want you to do. If you don't like to read, I've been reading most of my books this last year through an app that just reads it to me. That's how I've been reading more books this last year. I love it. But if that's you and you would just like to listen to this being read, if you go to the Apple podcast, you can look up Immerse Bible and Messiah, and you don't have to buy anything. Google Play Store, same thing. If you have one of those kind of phones, um, bless you. Anyways, um, you can look it up, and it'll do the same thing for you. So you don't have to buy anything. Listen to me again. You don't have to buy anything. Because I don't believe it should be a hindrance that you don't have this to keep you from reading the Bible this year. But here's what I will say. Starting in February, we're about to read together as a church. We're about to see what God can do when his church at Quell Creek meets and reads and fellowships together. It's going to be an awesome year, y'all. I'm telling you, 2020 is about to change our lives. Um, I also want to give one last note. Last week, I mentioned to you that starting today, I'd like for you to join me on a fast for a week. For those of y'all that will do it for a week, maybe you've fasted before um, and you would like to elongate that. Uh, for me, I'm going to do a 21-day. That leads me all the way into February. So if you want to join me on that, 
uh, fast, I hope that you'll at least do it this week. So let me give you a few quick notes about fasting before we get into our text and the sermon this morning. Um, Here's a few thoughts. Number one, what you consume the most in your life will consume you back. What you consume the most in life will consume you back. Um, We've lived in those seasons, haven't we, where we let fear consume us, and we consumed it. We're, oh, I love fear, and all of a sudden we're fearful. I believe that anything that you spend the most time with will take your identity. It'll, It'll shape you into whatever it wants you to be. And so fasting is something that, although it's not absolutely mandatory in Scripture, is something that Jesus talked about we should do. And so because that in the Old Testament they fasted and in the New Testament they fasted, so it's something that translates into all of Scripture. But what does fasting really mean? Well, the Bible gives clear indication about fasting. Every time the Bible talks of fasting, it talks about food. Every single time. It talks about the consumption of food. You know why? Because we all love it. We all depend upon it. We all need it. Without food, you die, correct? So the Bible deals with food and fasting. It talks about this withdrawing away from food for the sake of focus on God. So we we get these moments in Scripture. So I want to go through a few key ways that you can fast during this time. The first is this, a complete fast. Very rarely in Scripture do we see complete fasting. Jesus did it. Remember when he goes into the wilderness, he fasts and prays, and then Satan comes and tempts him? Jesus completely fasts. Now let me give you a caution note. Uh, Complete fasting is devastating to the human body. It is absolutely detrimental to your health. I can promise you that. You fast completely from food for 21 days, you're going to be a sick person. So you need to be careful. If you're going to complete fast, let me give you a strong caution. Call your doctor. Call your doctor and talk to them about what you can do to completely fast from food. Um, Strong move. Be biblical, but also be smart about it. You are not Jesus, nor am I. Supernaturally, he can absolutely do amazing things in your life. 21 days worth of not eating, you may meet him. Uh, so I just want to give you a caution. If you're going to complete fast, please talk to a healthcare professional before you take those steps. The second is this. It's a partial or a selective fast. A selective fast. Daniel 10 talks about what Daniel does in his fasting. Uh, it's a select fast. He gave away uh, sweets, meats, and bread during that time of fasting in Daniel 10. Um, Some people have done the whole 30, uh, if you look that up, during a fasting season. Um, Daniel did it for two reasons. One is a focus on God. Two was a withdrawal from worldly ideals. Um, He's brought in and given food, given to foreign gods, and for the celebration of such. Daniel and and the other three, uh, I always remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because I can't say their other names. Um, Mishael, anyways. Look that up. Daniel 10, they withdraw from those three things. So a, a selective fast is withdrawing from certain foods. I, if nothing else, let's withdraw from sugar um, because we know we've already got our sugar high from Thanksgiving and Christmas, right? 
this jacket has no buttons on this side for a reason, because if I buttoned it, I would kill Grant Keith this morning as it popped open, just kapow. Um, so no sugar. Uh, partial fast. A partial fast is a fast where you withdraw from a meal or meals during a day. Uh, some people have gone, I don't eat breakfast during the fast, and instead of that normal time of eating breakfast, I'm going to spend time in the Word and with the Lord. Uh, it may be that you fast from 5 p.m. to 8 a.m. Just don't go, well, I sleep during that time, so I fasted. Um, this is absolutely not just giving away of food. This is feeding something deeper. We have a three-part person, soul, spirit, and body. This is going after your soul. When you and I come to know Christ, our soul is made clean by him. Fasting is the rekindling of that love of our soul before God so that we connect with him the way he's always chosen to. We're feeding that and starving the others. The last is a soul fast. And this is often what I have encouraged students as we fasted as a church in the past. A soul fast is one which you give away the things that take your soul away. Things like social media, things like television, things like video games. Listen, if we were being really honest as adults, we've moved from video games to the news, haven't we? It's become our thing. We, we have the same controller. We have the same characters that we watch all the time. And we, we talk about it. When I was a kid, I never wanted to watch the news. I remember seeing my parents watch the news and thought, I will never watch the news. That's what old people do. You know what I do all the time? Watch the news. Because I'm an old people. Uh, isn't it funny? We just traded. And it takes our souls, doesn't it? You, you can just imagine our very spirits are being plucked away from us as we hear everything that's happened in the news and all the pundits and all the politicians, and we're just fed up. Oh, Lord, this is awful. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wrong focus. I am holy. I'm enough. I am God. I'm sovereign. Don't you know that I've got everything under control? Let me just ask you that question. Does God have everything under control? Then we need to tell the news that. Because they say nothing is in control. If I'm a believer of Scripture, I believe there is nobody that rises to power without his hand. Do you agree? That means he knows everything that's going to happen in the news today. Everything. He knows it. Does he love what we do as humans? Absolutely not. Not his plan. His plan is a perfect relationship with us and him. Fasting is you deciding that you want that. So, for those of y'all that will fast for a week, I want to give you a few key tips real quick before we go into our sermon. Number one, set the objective. Why are you going to fast? What's the objective? What are you asking God to do in your walk? Don't ask God to make you a millionaire. That's not a need. That's a want. What are you asking God to do in your walk with him? The next, make a commitment. Make a commitment. How long are you going to fast? Stick to it. If you have a family, talk about it. 
talk about it at the table today. Guys, I'm going to fast, and here is how I'm going to fast. Talk about it amongst your family. Here's why. If you don't talk, you'll cheat. Because I can promise you, for me, I'm going to drink water, and I'm a sweet tea connoisseur. I love it. Right now, if I, if I drained out, I would drain out sweet tea. Like, just cut me and be sweet tea. Not blood, sweet tea. Just, But I got to focus my attention on the Lord, and I want him to know that I'm there. It's going to be awful. Any of y'all that are sugarholics like I am, when you come off sugar, it hurts. I'm praying for the hurt because I know through the hurt, the Lord's going to know that I'm really there. The next, prepare spiritually. Prepare spiritually today. Seek cleansing from him. Seek focus from him and seek protection over this fast with him. And the last is this, if you're going to fast, come out of your fast slowly. Um, If you're going to do a complete fast, the day of the end of your fast, don't go eat a burger. It's going to make you sick. And I believe you should be if you do it like that. Fasting is often used in medical fields to kind of check out how we really are functioning. This is not a medical fast that I'm asking you to go on me with. I'm going to ask you to go on a fast to lose weight. Although that's probably going to be a side effect of fasting. I'm asking you to fast because I believe that God has something in store for you this year that you need to focus your attention on him so you can hear from him about it. I believe that God wants to do something in your life that is powerful and moving and that will never leave you the same. But to hear from him, you got to seek him first because he's already come after you. The last is this. Matthew 6 gives us a pretty... Interesting look into fasting. It says that when you fast, you shouldn't look somber like the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces and show men that they're fasting. I tell you the truth, they've already received their reward in full because everybody's clapped for them. Good job on your fast. You did so good. You look miserable. <laughs> but when you fast, put oil on your head. Wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you're fasting. But Only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you the same way. The reward of fasting is this. God notices. God notices when we focus our attention and our lives upon him. And I don't know about you, but any time I get a chance for the Lord to see that I've done anything at all, I want him to be proud of who I'm becoming and that I'm looking more and more like his son. So if Jesus fasted, so should we. So I hope you'll take this journey with us. Hope you'll really dig in, if if not for 21 days, at least for this week, that you'd say, God, I'm going to give up something or some things or a lot of things to spend extra time with you so that you can speak into me and lead me from here on out. He's going to do it. He's going to do it because he's a holy and faithful God. This morning, as we read in Philippians, and we'll move quickly now, Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 7, it says this, Indeed, it is right for me to think about you this way, all of you, because I have you in my heart, and you're all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment 
and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with an affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and in every kind of discernment, so you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, fulfilling the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You and I are given an opportunity today to fulfill some things that I believe that God wants us to do. Let's go back to our five things that I believe as a church we need to do. We need to pray deeply together. We need to seek his face as often as we can. You as a Christian need to seek after the Lord. Together we as a church need to seek after the Lord. We need to read his word with an anticipation that he is going to speak to us in a new and fresh way. I can promise you this. As often as I've read the Bible, it is always shocking what I've missed. You ever felt that? When did that scripture show up there? When did I miss that? It's always been there. But in that particular moment, because I went back and read again, the Holy Spirit was allowed to go, Kyle, stop. You see that? It was there before, but today you need to hear this. Spend time here. Dive in here. We need to read. We need to search deep in our walk with the Lord and deepen this year. We jointly need to go after him so desperately because we desperately need him. We, we need to seek after God as individuals. And I'm praying that as you walk in this room, as you look around it, you have people that are there to champion your faith and say, keep going. Don't stop now. We need to serve deeply. We have a lost world right outside these doors that is hurting and asking God to do something in their lives. And God is sending you. We need to serve like it matters. And we need to reach out. And we really need to find out, God, how can we touch their lives in such a way that your name would be made known? With all of these things, that one word that keeps coming up in my mind is this, finish. We need to finish. Quit saying, I will finish. Because it means that when we finish something, we will start something else. It is time to quit saying, I will one day. And start saying, today is the day if we really believe that today is the day the lord has made and we are to rejoice in it that means we are to finish today like it is our last what if today is our last my prayer is this that god would be made known in such a powerful way because of jesus christ and his work in my life that people all around me would say you know what he went out loving jesus and it wouldn't just be this church it would be the lady in the grocery store. It would be the waitress at the restaurant. It would be the person in traffic. Man, what if today is the day that we have? As Paul writes to the church in Philippi, he, he reminds them of something. He says in verse 9, and I pray this, that your love will keep on growing. Why is that a starting point? Why is it that love needs to keep growing? Because if God is the definition of love, it means that pursuit of him is what will grow as time goes on. And that love will transcend what the world calls as love, which is cheap, which is easy, which is lessened. And instead, the love that we can show is powerful. It goes beyond us. 
It shows up in every world, in every place. It is beyond our understanding. God is so good. His love is there for any that would call upon his name. Not just the people we like. Everybody. Everybody gets God's love if they will point their hearts to Jesus. So this love transcends churches should be places of extravagant love. You know why? Because none of us has earned it. So we get to live in a love that we couldn't earn, even if we wanted to. None of us is holy enough to get the love of God. None of us is rich enough to buy it. None of us is good enough to say we've outdone it. There is no possible way in your life or in mine we could outdo the extravagant love of God. At our best, we're not worthy of it. But because God is so good, he pours it upon us, not so that we would pull it under ourselves and say, no, this is mine, get away. But so we would pour it out for everybody else. The world should see churches as places of extravagant love. But what they see it is is extravagant nothingness. We look just like them. Our divorce rate's exactly the same. It's just mesmerizing that we haven't caught on to the fact that God is holy and those that pursue him have to start looking like him. That means in your walk, you have got to start becoming the man that God's called you to be. It means you have to become the woman that God's called you to be. You have to start showing up and saying, God, I'm devastated that I look like this today when I should be looking like Jesus. Help me. And he will. But what's more is in that pursuit of him, you have to reach out to a lost world that looks just as sinful as you do. There's no sin outside of the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit that is unreachable to God. He absolutely loves people that much, so much that he made them in his image. Now, listen, I told you about Super Hank at my house, Hank the dog. Love the dude. He's a good dog. I mean, he is, he's pretty great, partially because he, he's just chill. Like, he's the chillest dog ever. It's like when God made Hank he also had a bucket of water and he poured it in and said, that's what I want you to look like. And so that's what Hank does. He comes in and he becomes a puddle. It's awesome. We're like, hey, there's Hank. Is he alive? Okay, cool. That's awesome. Great dog. Amazing dog. You would love Hank. In fact, there's people in my office that, frankly, if they knew they could steal him, would do so. But here's the thing. Hank isn't in God's image. You are. You are given the very image of God so that you could be the very nature of who he is in relationship. You and I are called to extravagant love, but what happens with extravagant love? Paul says it. He just tells them, hey, listen, I pray this in verse 9, that your love will keep on growing. And what does this love do? What does it look like? What does it look like when the church captures this kind of love? Well, it just says it right here. Number one, it would be you'd keep growing in the knowledge of God. All of a sudden, we, we begin to start acting like he asks, well, what does it look like to a church? 
What does it look like when you go to a church and all of a sudden they capture this extravagant love? Number one, we'll care about other people here. Their physical, their emotional, and their spiritual state. When a church captures radical love, they will care about the people that come. It's more, it's less about you just got a greeting at the door. Hey, I'm really glad that you're here. That's awesome. But if no one cares if you're pursuing Jesus Christ, you came for no reason. You came for a handshake, good music, and a lousy sermon. Today, you get an opportunity to capture something. People who love you enough to care about you. It shouldn't matter that we know if somebody's struggling in this room. It shouldn't matter that they pursue Jesus Christ. It shouldn't matter that they're here or not. Galatians 5 tells us this. You are called to be free, brothers and sisters. Not only to use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. The whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out. Or you will be consumed by one another. So today the question is this. Are you in love enough with the people in this room that you would help them? That you would find out what's going on with them? That you would care about their spiritual well-being? Because if not, you're going to get eaten up. So Paul says, he says this, that you either love people and you go after them and you pursue them and you love them like Jesus or you're a consumer of them. The question is this, with Christianity today, I want you to fill in this blank. As a whole, as the church of Jesus, not Quell Creek, but the whole, we as a whole are more lovers or consumers. What do you think? I think we're consumers. What can they do for me? What if they don't do like I want to do? What if the pews aren't soft enough? What if somebody sits in my pew? Blasphemy! But God is calling us and yearning us to look more and more like him so that when we come into a place like this, it feels like home. It doesn't feel like a church. This isn't a gym. You're, you're not a member that you have to, you know, make sure you do certain reps of Christianity. But that you'd show up and it's, this would feel like a place where you could be real. You could share how broken you really feel Instead of put on that smiling face and just act like the world is okay. The world is not okay. This is a place where you come and go, I'm whipped. I'm broken. I need help. And there's help. Isn't it funny that churches look more judgmental than we do loving? You know why? Because that's what we think Jesus is. A church will always become what they think Jesus is. Jesus desperately loves you so much. He died for you so that you would have an opportunity even when you didn't deserve it. Even while scripture says you were an enemy, he died so that you could have an opportunity to be with him. The next, when a church fully gets this love, they'll keep a focus on Jesus and his kingdom. Psalms 1 says this, how happy is the one who doesn't walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway of sinners, or sit in the company of mockers, instead his delight is in the Lord's instruction. And he meditates it on day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in season, whose leaf doesn't wither, whether he 
whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. You and I, when we keep our focus on God, when our intention is his kingdom, when our heartbeat is beating after him, he does something. He starts to show up and he starts to show off who he really is. I want to be a part of a church, and I know you do too, where when we walk in this room, we love each other so much that we can't help but point each other to Jesus and our worship changes. And everything changes in this room. It's not about preparation. It could be the worst worship ever. We couldn't care less because it's not about the song and it's not about the tempo and it's not about the lyrics. It's about the King of Kings. It's about the Lord of Lords. It's about the fact that we get an opportunity with all of these voices to all declare at one time how good Jesus is. If that was our intention, let me just tell you, the roof would blow off this place. When we start to fall in love with Jesus, when you start to do it independently, and when we get together and we do it as a family, God is going to do something in our midst that we've never seen before. Because we will give him our full attention. I believe this with all of my heart. I believe that Jesus is constantly crying out to the world, whoever will may come. I believe he's constantly calling out, come unto me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I believe there's a whole world going, la, 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 la. And that's just the church. We are better than that. You and I were called to fall in love with the Jesus who leads and guides us, not just the Savior, but the Lord of our life. And that Lord is directing and he's calling and he's wooing and he's asking for his churches to rise and, and look like him and act like him and do like him. And if we will, we will see him do things we've never seen. Until then, we will act like every other church because we'll measure by that standard. That church has this many people coming, so we have to have at least that many. Well, that church did these three things, so we got to do those three things or we won't be a good church. No. Jesus is saying, give me your attention. I will direct you. I will lead you. I will be there, and I will never let you go alone. That's Jesus. He's just waiting for his church to capture this. The last is this. We will work on our own walk before we point out somebody else's failures. Um, we need to speed up because I know y'all are all super hungry and y'all don't have time for this. But Matthew 7 says this. Do not judge so you won't be judged. For you'll be judged by the same standard by which you judge others. You'll be measured by the same measure you use. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye but don't notice the beam of wood in your own? Or how would you say to your brother, let me take that splinter out of your eye. And look, there's a beam of wood in your own. You, do you capture what's about to be said? Hypocrite. Hypocrite. First take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Don't give what is holy. Listen to this. Don't give what is holy to dogs or toss the pearls before pigs, or they'll be trampled them under their feet. Turn and tear you into pieces. You and I are given charge to do one thing. Love extravagantly. 
Jesus is judge. He's holy. He will not tolerate sin, period. He won't. Our job is to point them to love. And when as a church we capture that, we will start to identify in our walk the weaknesses we need to change. Did you notice in this passage it doesn't say forget your brother's speck? It never says that. It never says forget your brother's speck. It says take care of your beam first, and then you can clearly see the speck. We need to identify something today. We all need Jesus desperately because we all have this little thing, sin, hiding in our closets. We need to get rid of it. That's why we're fasting. We're asking God to clean our closets. We're asking him to lead us and guide us. We're asking him to do supernaturally what we can't do physically. You and I can't make ourselves holy. You and I can't make ourselves right with God. You and I can't do any of that. We have to have him, and he will, and he can. The question is this, are you willing to give him your everything? He's not asking for your heart today. He's asking for all of you, everything you got. A full intention of marriage. That's why he talks about it in scripture. Remember we get that for a man will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. And we get all this back and forth about husbands and wives. And at the end of all of this moment, Jesus in in Scripture and God just pours out and says, oh, by the way, this is about me and my church. We're going to be married to one another. We're going to have a relationship. We're going to be one. The two shall become one flesh. That's when you and I start to identify. God has not called his people to look like Billy Graham or any other preacher in the planet. He has called his church to look like Jesus Christ. To do that, we have to get rid of us for the sake of him. It's not a fair trade, by the way. It's not a fair trade. The best you have to get is not a good trade of a partial of Jesus. But when you give him all of you, he gives you all of him. Which includes the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. That is powerful that is world-changing. Man, that moment at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes and starts his work and his people is still alive today. The Holy Spirit in you. Illuminates scripture, speaks on your behalf before God. I mean, that work of the Holy Spirit is alive and well and should be radically changing us. So let's move quickly to end. When love is being tended to, the following things happen. Knowledge of God's word becomes a standard. Knowledge of God's word becomes a standard. When you and I fall in love with God and start participating with what he does, reading his word, knowing his word will become a standard. It becomes the the understandable thing. People should know that Christians spend time in the word of God. It should be a standard. It should be what's normal. The the, The path that we're on, though, is frankly this, that most other faiths know the Bible better than we do. That most people that claim to be atheists know the scripture better than we do. Well, the problem with that is this. We should be the scholars. We should be those that point towards the truth of the scripture all the time. But when it's not a standard, it becomes nothing else. Discernment becomes a commodity. It's something that we get, that we we see as a, a part of who we are. Discernment should be 
there for all around. It should be the thing that shows us that's not right. That, that doesn't hold up. That's not truth. I praise God for people in our church. There's a few of you that I know if while I'm preaching and I miss it, you're going to come tell me. And you don't do it so that you can just be right. You do it so that we all get truth. Discernment should be a commodity. The next is our eternal condition is being pure and blameless. Let me read it to you again in Scripture. Verse 9. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in the knowledge and every kind of discernment. You see those two? So you may approve the things that are superior, and you may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. Pure and blameless is the eternal condition that happens when we fall in love with the one who loves us. And here's the last. Churches will then be seen as places of true worship. Verse 11 says, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. When you and I capture this love, when it becomes extravagant, when we start to see how deep his love is for us, when you walk in this room, you'll know it. You'll experience it. You'll feel it. You'll know that you have had it. I, uh, in 01, um, I met this woman and, man, fell in love with her. Just, I mean, hit it off. We just became friends. We, we enjoyed being together. I took her home to meet my dad. My dad looks at me and goes, you need to marry this girl. And I was like, yeah, I kind of get that, dad. Thanks. Uh, and so I did. In December, 01, I, I married my wife. And that day when we got married, I loved her. Today, looking back in 01, I had no comprehension of what love was. Because love was good then. It was young, it was youthful. But today, my love for my wife is so different. It's deep and it's rooted. And I, looking back at those wedding pictures, I was like, man, you had no clue what love really was. But I know that, you know, years from now, I'll look back on this day and go, man, you had no idea what love was then. The practice of Christianity is this, is looking back and realizing love has deepened with Christ. If it hasn't, the relationship is not there because that's what it does. It doesn't stay the same. It's not okay the same. It deepens, it grows, it matures. That's why Paul writes to the church, at this point, we should be eating the meat. But too many of y'all are still on the milk of Scripture. Because their love had not deepened with Jesus. It had stayed exactly the same. Love that stays the same breaks. Love that deepens grows. How's your walk with Jesus? Would you say today that you have people in your life that you're pouring Jesus into? That you would say, I am actively pursuing these people and pouring Jesus into their lives in the hope that they would grow and mature. Who's pouring into you? Who is the people in your life or persons in your life that are pouring Jesus into you actively? Because if you can't identify either of those two, what a great place to start at this January. Who am I pouring into? And who's pouring into me? If you don't have both, pursue it. Run after it. Find it. Yearn for it. Pray for it. Maybe that's what you need to fast for. 
Because I believe this, in this room are people who are lovers of people and that we will fast the consumer Christianity that's been given to us out of our lives. Jesus, may you win your church. May you change our lives. And may we fall in love with you in just a fraction of the love that you love us with. Let me pray for you this morning. Father God, that's the prayer we have. Lord, that our love would, even in a percentage, look like the love you have for us because it would be extravagant at that. God, we need you. Because, Father, we have turned love into affection. We've turned love into sin. We've turned love into anything that can be defined by anyone. But that is not truth. You are love. And you've shown us the pattern of love. And you've taught us how to love. And because of that, Lord, we want to be your church. We want to be your bride. So, Lord, would you lead us? Lord, as we start pursuing you deeply through prayer and fasting, by giving away of us for the sake of getting any of you, God, would you pursue us like that? Work out of our souls this thought that that church is about us and not about an extravagant worship of you and love of those around us. We need you desperately today because we know where we've missed in steps. And Lord, we want to look back at the end of this year and say, we had no clue what loving God was really like last year. Because this year, I'm desperately in love with my God. So Lord, would you lead us towards that? Lord, would you pursue us so we could pursue you? Lord, call out to us. Lord, keep crying out to us, Lord. Let us find you through ourselves. Lord, let us give away the sin that so easily entangles us, as Paul says. And pursue you like runners of a race. God, we need you. And so, Lord, help us. Lead us. Guide us. Rescue us today. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This morning, we're going to have our time of invitation. We do this every Sunday because I believe it's important. This morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is your day. Don't wait. Don't give any more time away. Today's your day. You need to come let somebody know up here this morning, I need Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and do it now. Maybe this morning you need to come and pray and cry out to God and get ready for the moment you're going to have with Him this week. Thank Him that He'd spend any time with us at all. And plead and ask Him that He'd cleanse our hearts and lead us. Today is the day to worship Jesus and to start today saying, I want to love Jesus desperately because he desperately loves you. Would you stand this morning as we worship? Let's worship him now.